All right. So we are continuing our series in Hebrews uh, this week, and the book of Hebrews has been telling us one thing over and over and over again, and the author is going to keep telling us that same thing, and it's been a really cool message. It's my favorite message to talk about. It's the reason why I preach, and it's this. Jesus is better. He's better than anything. He's better than anyone. There is nothing better or superior to Jesus, and that's what this whole book is about. So I love the book of Hebrews because it's my favorite thing to talk about. And so tonight, we're in Hebrews chapter 2. We're looking at verses 5 to 9 if you want to open up your Bibles. And as you do that, I'm going to kind of walk you through something here. Mankind has for ages and ages basically always asked two questions. We know that because we look at like famous writings by philosophers and by leaders and religious people all throughout time. What we see are these two questions keep popping up over and over again. The first one they would ask is, who am I? And then once you start to answer that question or even think about that question, you inherently have to ask a second one, and it's, why am I here? Who am I and why am I here? It really comes down to this, identity and purpose. Identity, who am I? Like, I need to know who I am so I know how to act. So I know what my mission is, what my, the second part, purpose is so why am I here? What am I supposed to do or accomplish? What should my goals be? Why am I on this rock that's just floating through the nothingness of dark space? Just like, what is it? What's it all about? Is it pointless? Do I have a purpose in life? And if so, then then that should tell me who I am. And so these questions keep getting asked. And so we see, like, if we look back through the timeline, idol worshipers and religions from throughout thousands of years who basically said by the way that they worship idols, these carved stones and like sticks and, and wood that have no inherent like ability to think or act or will, right? They're saying that man, mankind, is less valuable than sticks and stones. That's the statement they're making by worshiping idols. They're saying, who are we? We're less valuable than, than rocks and tree branches. Animists would tell you that man is inferior to animals and nature because that's what they worship. They worship the sun and they worship animals and all these things in nature and would say that's more valuable than mankind, these things that can't think or breathe or talk. Hindu religion would say that man is just a consciousness that's part of a bigger consciousness. Like it's not, we lose this like individuality. There's no actual me. Like, so I can't really answer the question, who I am I? Because it's just this thing we can't really explain that must be out there. A materialist, right? Someone who thinks about raw materials like science and nature and stars and, and, and uh, planets would say that man is just a product of something that just happened by chance. Things just smashed together. They broke. They, they, they uh, became a bigger thing. And all of a sudden, Boom, life pops out of it. These collisions that just keep happening somehow just produce life by chance. That's what a materialist would tell you. So man isn't really very valuable. He's just, a, he's just an accident. A humanist. Today we have lots and lots of humanism on this planet. Just go on social media and you can see humanism. Just watch like TV and, and the Super Bowl and other things, and you'll see these humanistic things, these themes that are constantly put out there for us that basically say that we, mankind, is God. 
We are the ultimate. We are the highest being in the universe that we know of. We should be worshiped basically as gods. And it doesn't take long for you to realize when you try to do something that's beyond your strength to know you're not God. You are a very limited, very fragile being. It doesn't take long till you get a cold or a sickness or you're in the hospital or get in an accident or you're looking at a loved one who's like lying there passing away and go, man, I'm fragile. They are fragile. Mankind is not God. If we're God, that's a pretty sorry excuse for a God. We're not very powerful. And so man has been coming after this question for thousands of years trying to answer it. Who am I, right? What's my identity? Why am I here? What's my purpose? And before we go into this tonight, because Hebrews is going to tell us, it's going to answer that for us in a true way that we can trust. But before we look at it, would you just stop for a second? Maybe even close your eyes if you want to, but just in the quiet of your heart, in your head, just think, who do you think you are? Who do you think mankind is? Why do you think you're here on this rock floating through space? What's your purpose? Why are you in this room tonight? Why do you go to school? Why do you you have plans to maybe get married one day and have a family and a job? Why? What's the point of any of those things? Who are you? Why are you here? So many people go through life, and they have no idea how to answer that question. And it's real sad because so many people go to church their whole life. And still when they're faced in their old age with that question, they don't know how to answer it. We looked last week, the the author of this book said, don't be ignorant to the truth and then just like slip right on past this harbor of salvation and miss it because there's no turning around. Don't go your whole life going to church, hearing the truth, being in a book like this. It's about to answer that question for you and miss it. Don't float by it. Hear it tonight. All right. So Dig into this with me. Pay attention to this so that when you leave here, you can say, I know who I am. And I know why I'm here. And so read with me. We're in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 9. This is what it says. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we're speaking. But there's a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of? Of them. See, he asked the question. He's quoting this Old Testament scripture, asking that question. A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that's not subject to them. Yet at present, we don't see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus. (laughs) who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. We get a very clear picture tonight of who we are, of why we're here. I don't know if you've already heard it just in those short few verses, but let's walk through this together and see what he's saying. He starts off and says, it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come. Remember, he had just got finished two weeks ago talking about how angels were inferior to Jesus. They don't even compare, right? They have a beginning. Jesus never had a beginning. He has always existed and always will exist. 
Jesus literally created angels. They're his creation, right? So there's no comparison. And now he's here and he's coming back to it. We took a break to say, hey, all that stuff we talked about, that like big brain stuff, like here, here, I want you to stop for a second. I I want it to move from here into here. I want it to penetrate your heart. I want you to sit here and go, what does this mean for my life, hearing how awesome Jesus is? How is that going to change my heart when I leave here tonight? And so that's what he did last week. We took a pause, right? And so as he's coming back into the subject, he brings up angels again. And here's what he says. He says, it's not to angels that he subjected the world to come. God didn't look when he created everything and go, hey, angels, this is all for you. I made all of this universe for you to enjoy. That wasn't their purpose. It's not why he made them. As a matter of fact, he made them to be ministers to us. Servants to serve God and in, in, in us in this ministry. And so what we are is we're looking at God going, you made all this for us? This whole thing has been subjected to us? You're looking around at a universe that God originally said, hey, humanity, this is for you. I want you to have dominion over this, this beautiful paradise that God had made, this perfect universe. It wasn't to angels. They weren't offered the entire universe like mankind was offered. And when it says the word subjected, that's this military term that they would use. And what it basically meant was you would take a soldier and put him under the command of an officer, right? And so this, that, that submission, subjection was never given to them. As a matter of fact, it was in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were there, and Eve was in front of the tree talking to this serpent, this fallen angel who tempted her and tricked her and deceived her into giving up what was rightfully theirs, what God had given them. So this subjection of everything to them, looking out at a universe that God was like, this is yours, this fallen angel basically stole from them through lies. Satan himself stole that from us. And in our action, as they took that fruit and willingly disobeyed God, it broke everything. This perfect, beautiful universe was broken because of our sin. And so, look what he says next. He says, but there is a place where someone has testified. He's about to tell us, basically, the Old Testament talked about this. But he doesn't tell us who, right? It's pretty cool because this book is all about Jesus and Jesus being better, and the author doesn't even mention his name. Like, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm writing this book to whoever. He doesn't do that because he doesn't want you thinking about his name. He wants you thinking about Jesus' name. And here he's quoting the Old Testament and doesn't even tell us exactly who. He could, he knows who said it, but he doesn't because he doesn't want you thinking about the name of the guy who wrote this. He wants you thinking about Jesus. I love that. He's so unfocused about what he's saying. Like, Jesus is better than everything. So he says, there's a place where someone has testified, and here it is. What is man that you are mindful of them? This little speck of dust. Clay. Floating around on a planet, a rock through space. And you care about us? You know how big space is? how huge this universe is, how powerful and amazing and incredible and things we haven't even begun to imagine yet. We're just this little speck of dust on a rock. And God, you look down and care about us? 
Would we not be forgotten? When's the last time you've looked down at an ant on the ground and thought, man, that is a really special ant. I'm going to help that ant its entire life. I'm going to watch over it and protect it. Like there's just random ant on the ground. You probably have just done that, right? Like that's about it. Like that's all you did. It's the only thought you gave to that little creepy thing that could bite you. But God didn't do that. As God's thinking about us, and we are so much smaller than an ant to God. And yet, we're not unvaluable to God. We have so much value in his eyes. And he looks at us with so much love. And so the question is, like, who are we that you should care so much, God? Why should you look down at a speck and think, like, we're worth you paying attention to us? What is it? What do we amount to in your eyes that the infinite God of creation should care this much? So stop for just a second. Don't miss this. Do you live like God actually cares about you that much? Or do you live thinking, God ignores me? God doesn't think about me. God doesn't know who I am. There are billions of people on this planet. You think God's looking at my life? You think God cares what I do? You think God hears when I pray among all the people that are praying? Like, God just doesn't care. He ignores me. He's not there. Maybe that's what you think tonight. This book is telling you you're straight up wrong. God loves you. He intimately knows you from before you were ever made. He thought you up. He designed you. He brought you into the world, gave you life. He keeps air in your lungs, right? And your heart breathing. And he's like, I love you. And I'm here your whole life protecting you, guiding you, walking through life with you. You matter. You little speck of clay, right? Like you matter. And I'm like, God, that's so awesome that you would love me. And that you would love me that much. Who is man that you should be mindful of? of them do you live like god actually cares about you or you live in life like you're just kind of on your own it says that you made them a little lower than angels he's still talking about man right angels are more powerful than we are we're bound by this flesh and right now we're in broken flesh so even worse because we've sinned and we've been cursed we've been made just a little lower than angels that doesn't even mean like like, like height, you know, or by quality, but by time. It refers to time. Like for this little while, we've been lower. It won't always be that way. But for a time, we have been made to be lower than them. Actually, the Bible says one day we will judge the angels. But for now, we've been made a little lower than them. Let's hear this next part. It says, you crowned them, us, with glory and honor. God looked at Adam and Eve and he was like, you guys are going to be crowned with authority, my authority on earth to rule this entire thing. And we lost it. We broke it with sin. Tonight, I've titled the message for tonight, Recovery, because what Jesus has done is he has come to recover that crown that we have lost that authority 
that identity that God gave us, right? And so as Jesus Christ comes into your life because he's died on the cross and you've accepted him and he's raised again and you raise your, are raised again with Jesus, do you know what happens? You get the authority that Jesus gives you. It comes back and you are able to be a part of this awesome thing called the church and that's why we're here tonight. That's who we are. That's why we exist. We are people that believe in Jesus and follow him. And so we've been made part of his family. And so you have an authority that you might not even be aware of tonight if you believe in Jesus. You might be walking around your life thinking, yeah, I accepted Jesus. Cool, I'm going to heaven. That's awesome. And that's like kind of where it ends. Like you think the rest is just about singing songs and maybe even reading your Bible. And that's, that's it. And God's like, that's not it. That's the beginning. What I'm doing in you now is giving you this authority as I'm taking that crown and putting it back on your head and saying, like, I have such big plans for you. And you're still sitting there in, like, neutral going, oh, I'm saved now. I'm cool. I'm just, like, going to cruise through life. But if you're a believer in Jesus, he's like, I have a big, big, big plan for you. What are you sitting there for? Step up and follow me. Trust me. Get out of your boat. Walk on the water with me. Go into your school and preach. Worship, do things that people are going to look at you and go, this isn't you, this is something bigger. And they see something supernatural in your heart, not for your glory, but all of a sudden they start to see Jesus in you. This big plan of God for you starts to happen because you're like, hey, I'm not just this person who's just saved. I'm wearing a crown that Jesus put on my head when he saved me, and I'm going to work for him. I'm going to do big things, things that are so much better than I could have ever dreamed for myself. Do you know that? Do you recognize it, or are you just sitting here tonight because like youth group? Let's go to youth group. Let's go play some basketball, hang out with our friends. Or you come tonight and go, hey, Jesus Christ has called me to something bigger. I want to know more about that because I'm ready to step out in faith and say, Jesus, let's go. Do this huge thing. Put the crown on me. Let's walk. Let's go. Let's move. I want to see you do incredible things in my life. Do you want that? Do you want that? Do you want Jesus to come in and take control and blow your mind with what he's about to do? He's come to recover that authority in your life. To set you back where you belong. What he's ordained you to do, to rule it aside. Not in some way where you're going to walk around and hit people and try to be the dictator of the world, but in a way that serves and loves and you're the arms and the hands and the feet of Jesus in ways you couldn't ever imagine. Or, you can sit there. You can stay in neutral. Go through your life not even recognizing that there's a crown on your head. Not realizing who you are. Case of mistaken identity. And your whole life you miss it. Not realizing what your purpose is because you have a crown on your head and you go your whole life and get to the end and look back and go, oh man, I missed it. God had such bigger plans for me and I sat here in neutral instead of stepping up and saying, God, where are you leading? It says you are crowned with glory and honor. And then he says you put everything under their feet. It doesn't feel like that, right? He actually says that. Look what he says next. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that's not subject to them. 
Everything becomes like part of like subject to mankind, to you and to me. But he says, yet at the present, we don't see everything subject to them. Like you might look around and go, it doesn't feel like I'm above everything. Like I have dominion over this world. It feels more powerful than me. Every time I get sick or I get burned by this massive sun or I walk out and like you name it, like the list of things that feel more powerful than you feel, it doesn't feel like you have control over it all, does it? But the Bible right here is saying everything is subject. Everything, that word doesn't exclude anything. Everything is subject, but he says, but right now, it doesn't look like it. Right now in our broken state, that might not be true in this moment. But Jesus is taking that crown and he's putting it back on your head and he is recovering who you are. He's recovering your purpose for you. And that's exactly what he goes to do. We see this in Genesis 3, 17 to 19. We see where we lost it, right? Man's curse is here in these verses where we lost our crown. It says to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. So we lose that. Through painful toil, you will eat from it. So we lose that. All the days of your life, which are numbered by the way. So we now lose that. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. will die. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Look at how much we lost. That was man. And then he turns to the woman And he says in Genesis 3.16, back one verse, he says to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. We see this relational conflict that begins. We lost that. And then he looks at the earth, right? And he curses the earth. In Romans 8.21 and 22, it says, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So there will be a day that it will be reversed, right? Recovered. Verse 22 says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Even creation itself was broken and cursed because of us. Jesus came to recover it. He's so much better than the angels. He's so much better than the universe. He's so much better than everything and anything else. And so he steps into this passage in verse 9. Look at it. Verse 9 in Hebrews, it says, But we do see Jesus. There he is. Who was made lower than the angels for a little while. Jesus is not lower than angels. He willingly stepped into human flesh for a little while, still being God. He humbled himself for a little while to do something God had called him to do. Now crowned with glory and honor, he reversed it. Today he stands, look at this, crowned with glory and honor as king of the entire universe because he suffered death. So that little while that Jesus was made a little lower was because he came to die. And his death reversed that curse that God put on us. 
He came to recover our birthright for us so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. That verse always gets me. It says grace of God, and I think good things, right? It's a grace of God that's awesome, that's beautiful, that's wonderful, it's free, it's kind. How could the grace of God on this side immediately be followed with taste death for everyone? It seems like they're two conflicting things. Grace of God seems so good, but tasting death seems so bad. But it was that very grace that caused Jesus to be willing to taste death for you. That death isn't yours anymore if you believe in Jesus. That's the good news. If you really take your heart and bow it down before Jesus and say, there's no other way I can be saved but by you, save me and forgive me, he says, I will save you. Have you done that? Have you really done that where you've got before Jesus and said, I believe you are God and I know there's no other way for me to be saved, so I'm asking you now, Jesus, forgive my sin. Jesus, save me, there's no other way. He tasted death to do that for you. He was nailed to a cross and put in a grave so that he could rise again later and pick up your crown off the ground, broken, and put it back onto your head whole and make you a prince or princess of God. He takes his authority and he hands it back to his children. That's good news. Y'all, if you don't think that's good news, I have no idea how to help you tonight because you're just not hearing it. You have eternal life promised to you by the creator of the universe. He's already paid all of the price of it. His own son died. Purchase it for you so that you don't have to go to a place called hell. Punishment forever loves you that much. All you have to do is surrender your heart to him and say, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I belong to you. And it says he promises to save you. That's good news. And so Jesus has done this beautiful, unbelievable thing. There's no price that was too steep. Too much for Jesus to look at you and say, no, I just can't do that. Instead, he looks at us and says, I'll go to that cross. I'll pay whatever the cost might be. See, Jesus was the only one who could do it. Any perfect man still wasn't enough to do it. It had to be the Son of God himself. This king of the entire universe. He comes down and he says, I'm looking at you and you're not just a speck of clay. I haven't forgotten you. I haven't overlooked you. You're not too small for me to see you or care about you. I love you enough to be nailed. But torture is cross. You. Who are you? Why are you here? Jesus is telling you you are here because he loves you. And because you're his. Have you actually taken that crown, felt the weight of it on your head, and said, Jesus, this is more than just me getting a free ticket to heaven. This is me joining your mission, joining in on your authority to preach your word to the world. 
If you're saved tonight, if you'd stand here and be like, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. Would you ask yourself that question? The band's about to come up, and here's what I want you guys to ask in your heads tonight and in your hearts. As we do this next song, would you just say, God, do I really know who I am? Do I really believe that I am your child, that you've done these things for me, or am I just cruising in neutral? And maybe even tonight as we sing this song, maybe even instead of singing, you sit there and you pray and you just say, God, will you give me the strength to just stand up and believe that you've really done this? Will you cause me to say yes to you when you call me out? When you call me to do the scary things? To join your mission and put the crown on and say, let's go, Jesus. Like, I'm ready to walk with you. I'm ready to obey you. Would you just ask him to do that in your heart tonight?